Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was referring to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and what I was explaining at the end of the previous program is the importance of understanding the differences between life and death. That from the world's point of view, before you are saved, you are alive to the world, but you are dead to your God. Many people look at God as though he is dead from the world's point of view because they don't know him. They don't even know if he exists. Some people may acknowledge his existence, but they still don't have any relationship with him. They don't have any interaction with him. And they assume that the problem is is that there is a problem with God. But no, the truth is is that there is a problem with us. That we are the ones who are dead when we are lost, when we are not saved, when we are in the world. The transaction of salvation, the experience of salvation, is the experience of being resurrected. It is the experience of being made alive by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you are made alive, when you are resurrected from the dead, spiritually speaking, of course, when you are resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, at that point, you are then dead to the world and alive to your God. The message of the gospel is truly a life or death issue. It really comes down to that. And I was explaining in the previous program that the apostles, the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, They used baptism in order to explain important spiritual truths that we now know and understand and live in today. And this should not be too much of a surprise to you because the Lord Jesus used baptism in a similar way. The Lord Jesus used the baptism in water that was originally established by the Pharisees as a means of converting a Gentile to Judaism. He used that baptism in order to reveal the baptism of the Spirit. He did this through John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist began baptizing people, but he was not baptizing Gentiles, he was baptizing Jews, which was to say that the Jew was just as unclean as the Gentile. He was using the water baptism of conversion to Judaism to reveal a more important spiritual truth that the Jew needed to repent as much as a Gentile needed to repent that the Jew needed to dedicate their lives to the law of Moses because of their failure to live in obedience to the law of Moses. John also used the baptism in water to reveal who the Messiah is. He said that the living God sent him to baptize so that he could reveal who the Messiah really is. And he did that. So the baptism in water was used by John for very specific purposes. When people look at baptism today, they are also looking at baptism in order to accomplish a specific purpose. But what most people are doing now is they're saying that baptism is necessary or is a part of the salvation experience of humanity instead of using it like everybody else used it, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus, 
the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, everybody else used it as a means of conveying or as a means of explaining a spiritual truth. Instead, what many people are doing is they're taking this religious act that was established by the Pharisees, they have appropriated that as part of their religious experience, as part of their sacraments, as part of their means by which they are going to participate in something so that they can be saved. They don't use it in order to explain other spiritual truths as the Lord Jesus did and as the Apostle Paul did. That's not what people are using it for today, but they should. They need to understand that. So that's what I was explaining in the previous program, that the importance of baptism in this context, in the context of the letters of the epistles, has to do with the fact that the apostles were using it to explain the life and death issue of the gospel and also the life and death issue of now living in the newness of life on the basis of what Jesus has already done for us. That was how water baptism was used in the scriptures. Another good example of this is found in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, it says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, looking at verse 11, to me it is very clear that Paul is using the subject of circumcision to describe the cutting away of our flesh as part of the salvation experience. And that the circumcision that our God performs in the context of salvation when he saves us is a complete removal of our identification with our flesh, a complete removal of our identification with our sins. Continuing into verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We were resurrected from the dead by being made alive, by having life restored to us. That's how we were resurrected. The baptism in water does not accomplish that. He accomplishes that by giving us his spirit. When people are buried in the water today, that's often used in order to suggest that they have been buried in the baptism in water and they have been raised to walk in the newness of life. That is the ritualistic experience that many people are going through. And I understand that this can have meaning to many people. But I don't think that that's what Paul was talking about here. I really don't. I personally believe that you were no more buried with him in baptism any more than you were resurrected by your faith or through your faith. That you were not buried through water and then resurrected through faith. No. You were buried through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what killed you to the world and made you alive to him. And you were resurrected, yes, through faith, but in the context of you believing the truth that had been revealed. But the resurrection itself was done by his Holy Spirit dwelling within you. So I don't see water baptism in verse 12, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. To me, this is a clear example of a spiritual baptism that the Lord Jesus does within and through us. And perhaps we can refer to the water baptism to describe the spiritual reality of salvation. But that doesn't mean that the physical act is the salvation. No, it can be used to describe something, but that doesn't make it the very thing that we are trying to describe. Those are two completely different things. And to try to call them the same or to try to harmonize them in some way, to me, will completely take away from the importance of the living God saving people himself 
by baptizing them, by immersing them with his spirit himself. Another interesting passage in the scriptures that people often refer to when it comes to the subject of baptism is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, he talks about the baptism of Noah, or what I refer to as the baptism of Noah. Beginning in verse 18, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Again, Peter refers to this life and death issue, that yes, Jesus died for all sins, once and for all, so that he can bring us to God. Once he brings us to God, how does he save us? How does he make us alive? He makes us alive by the Spirit. He makes us alive by giving us life by giving us his life, which is defined as his Holy Spirit. Continuing in verse 19, it says, "...in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water." Corresponding to that, Baptism now saves you. Corresponding to what? The baptism of Noah? No, corresponding to that in the sense that just as eight people were saved, brought safely through the water, just as they were saved through a type of baptism, so also you are saved through a type of baptism. But is it the baptism in water? No. Salvation is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the restoration of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus used the baptism in water to describe the restoration of the Holy Spirit. This is often a difficult thing for people to grasp because they really want to hold on to water baptism for some reason. They do not want to truly believe that it is the restoration of the Holy Spirit that is salvation. They don't want to truly believe that. You know, I think a lot of this is actually social pressure more than anything. People believe these kinds of things or they defend these kinds of things because of the church that they're a part of or because they have family members who are part of it. I think in many cases it's the desire for acceptance that overwhelms the truth in many people's lives. That people are more concerned about other people liking them than they are about the truth of salvation and the truth of the living God. I think they're more concerned about others than anything else. But let's consider this for just a moment. What happens when you go to heaven? If you go to heaven, which I assume you will, of course, when you go to heaven and you see Noah, how are you going to relate to Noah? I mean, what kinds of questions are you going to ask him? And how are you going to identify with Noah? You might say something like, you know, Noah, I was reading through the letter that Peter wrote, and he mentioned that you were saved through the water, and so I thought that I needed to be saved through the water also. And what do you suppose Noah is going to think when you say something like that? I can tell you what I would think if I was Noah, and that is that, you know, I remember those days. I remember when I was on the ark and everyone else was drowning. I remember that. And now you're trying to relate to me in a similar way. But, you know, what I recall about that occasion was that I was the one who didn't get wet. I remember that part. I remember that everybody else got rained on and everybody else experienced the flood, but I floated above it. And you want to tell me that you can relate to me because you're the one who got wet. You're the one who got buried in the water, and yet I'm the one who escaped the water. The same thing with Moses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, Paul speaks about Moses in a similar context, that the Israelites, 
they went through what? The dry land. And it was the Egyptians who got covered in water. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. It was Christ. It was the Messiah. It was the Lord Jesus. He's referring to the Lord Jesus. It was the Egyptians who were buried under the water. It was the Israelites. It was Moses who passed through the water. They were not the ones who were baptized, immersed in water. They were the ones who were identified with the living God, and they did experience a type of baptism. But again, if you want to talk with Moses about this and say that you can relate to Moses, he's going to say, well, you're the one who got wet. I don't think you can relate to me as much as you can relate to the Egyptians. And Noah the same. He might say, well, you can relate to me in some ways, I suppose, but not as well as you can relate to the rest of those people who were buried underwater too. My point is is that sometimes people look at baptism in this way as if they're going to be accepted because they went through that kind of a procedure, because they did something different, because they did something unique, because they did something that other people did. It's sort of like an initiation into a club or something. That's how people are looking at it for the most part. But that is not the way things are. The Lord Jesus used water baptism. He used that in order to describe the spiritual baptism. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, when he says that he died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He's talking about salvation, the salvation experience of being baptized in the Spirit. If you keep reading down to verse 21, it says, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. What? The removal of dirt from the flesh? No! No! The resurrection... Through the Lord Jesus giving you life. That's what he says at the end of verse 21. But an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. He's talking about the spiritual baptism, not the removal of dirt from the flesh you experience in the physical baptism. It's important to see this and to understand what it was used for, how it was used, What are the truths that have been explained to us, that have been revealed to us in light of these truths? Folks, there is nothing wrong with water baptism. There is nothing wrong with this at all. What's wrong is that we are using it for a purpose that our God never intended it to be used for. That's the problem. Use it. Speak of it. Teach it. Tell people about it. Do not neglect it. Do not exclude it. But at the same time, don't use it for a purpose that your God never gave it for. Use it for the purposes that our God used it for. Use it in the same way that Jesus used it. Use it in the same way that the Apostle Paul used it. They used it to explain the spiritual reality that we now live in, the salvation that has now been given to us as a result of his death and his resurrection. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, where he said, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. 
What is he talking about? For by one bathtub we were all baptized into one body. For by one river we were all baptized into one body. For by that one church that had that exotic baptismal, we were all baptized into one body. No, for by one spirit. Whose spirit? His spirit, the living God's spirit. By his spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We were not all made to drink from one body of water, not in the sense of a baptismal, not in the sense of a river or a lake or the ocean or anything of that type, by his spirit and by his spirit alone. Consider Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's talking about the unity of the Jew and the Gentile, of everyone, slave and free. In verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, if there's one Lord, and when it comes to faith, he has only one opinion on that subject, and there's only one baptism then which one would you like? Which one would you like? Would you like the baptism of the Pharisees, maybe? Would you like the baptism of Noah? Would you like the baptism of Moses? Maybe you'd like the baptism of John the Baptist. No, you need the baptism of the Spirit. It is the baptism of the Spirit that is the one baptism. And so if there's only one, which one would you like? And you better choose carefully, because if you got the wrong one... I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying that you will be very confused. Now, when it comes to this subject of baptism, I know that there are a lot of questions that people ask. And I have covered this subject with great detail. I have put out a lot of effort to address this subject in the best way that I can. I have not done this in the context of Q&A. I haven't done this really in the context of just answering questions, taking a whole list of questions and just answering all these questions, because I don't think that this subject should be addressed that way. I really don't. If I address it that way, then anybody else can address it in the same way and give different answers. That's not the issue. We need to deal with the issues of why, how, in what way, for what purpose, Those are the kinds of issues that need to be addressed when it comes to this subject. Let me give you an example. How about infant baptism? Infant baptism. When a baby is born, people will baptize the baby in water. And there are several denominations that do this. And they all have different reasons for this. If you ask them, why are you baptizing this little baby? They will give different reasons. You just have to ask. In some cases, you have to ask the individuals within the denominations as well, because some of them will give different answers. Some people really believe that the child is saved because we baptize them in water. Some people really believe that. Other people don't. They don't believe that that is salvation, but that it is an important thing as a way of commemorating or dedicating the child to God. Some people look at it in that way, and I can appreciate that. I can understand that. People look at it in different ways. But when you take these individual reasons and these individual justifications, you are no longer dealing with the subject of baptism anymore. You're dealing with other issues. 
For example, if you say that a child can be saved because they were baptized, then what you're really dealing with is the question of salvation. You're no longer dealing with the issue of baptism anymore. You're dealing with the issue of salvation. And I can tell you, straightforward, that salvation has to do with an individual's decision to recognize their depravity, to recognize the living God's sufficiency through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and through embracing what he has offered. And a little child is not going to be able to understand that. A baby who is six months old or a year old is not going to be able to embrace the fullness of what it means to be totally depraved and to rely on the sufficiency of the cross and to receive the free gift of eternal life through the Holy Spirit. They're not going to be able to embrace that. I'm confident that there will be a time in their life when they can, but that's the point, is that this is not being done by this individual, that this individual is not going to be saved because of the faith of somebody else, whether that other person is their parent or their pastor or who knows who they are. It doesn't matter. The only way that a person can be saved is if they personally, individually, receive the gospel, believe the gospel, receive the free gift of the life of God that will dwell within them eternally. That's what salvation is. So is infant baptism important? Well, how would you expect me to answer a question like that? Let's try something simple. Is it in the Bible? Have you taken the time to read the Bible to see if it's even in there? If you will, I'm sure you will discover that it's not there. So if it's important, why isn't it there? Now, I understand that the scriptures were not written to cover every important aspect of life. But if you want to assume that it is so important that it has to do with the eternal destination of an individual, I would expect to see something mentioned about it in the scriptures somewhere, wouldn't you? Anywhere, in some place, maybe even an obscure one. But even if it is found in an obscure location, I would expect it to be so clear that there would be no confusion about this question. If infant baptism was important for salvation, I would expect to see something about it in the scriptures. But the fact of the matter is that it's not there. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. It's never referred to. It does not exist. Some people have made some bizarre assumptions about some of the passages in the scriptures concerning this. But my point is, is that it is not there. And if it is not there, then why do we speak of it as if it was there, as if it existed? If there's a reason for this and it's justified in the scriptures, we ought to be able to find it. But it's not there, and so what else do you want me to say about it? I mean, don't expect me to defend or argue against something that is a complete fantasy, that just simply does not exist, except in the minds of religious people who are too lazy to go into the scriptures themselves to see whether or not it is even there. And so when it comes to questions about baptism... You have to be very careful about these questions because the fact is, is that many of them are based on pure fantasy. The issues that people are raising are not in the scriptures. Therefore, the answers to these questions normally have to do with other subjects such as salvation, forgiveness, the differences between law and grace. There are other issues that need to be addressed when people bring up questions like these because these are the real issues that people are actually dealing with that are of great importance. And these other questions, these other arguments are normally nothing more than distractions from the real issues, real issues that we need to understand and that we need to resolve through the revelation that our God has already given to us. And so I have presented this subject from that point of view, from the point of view of dealing with the real root issues, with the history of baptism, its purpose, the way that our God used it, 
instead of just answering questions yes or no, or giving my opinion or giving you the collection of theological opinions, I have dealt with the true root issues. And so pay attention to what I am telling you. And that is that you must answer the questions, why, for what reason, for what purpose, Those are the kinds of questions that really need to be addressed. And I understand that most people are not interested in dealing with those kinds of questions. And I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. The way I feel about it is that if a person does not want to deal with these kinds of questions, they just want to be told what to do. They just want to be told what to believe. If that's the kind of person who you are encountering, then as far as I'm concerned, you're dealing with a person who doesn't really care anyway who doesn't really believe that this issue really matters. Because if you really believed, or if they really believed, if people would really believe that this is important, and it is very important, if people really believed it, then they would take the time out of their busy lives, who knows what they're doing, but out of their busy lives, to look into it themselves, to take advantage of materials that people have already produced, research that already exists, There is nothing that I have said in any of these programs that could not be discovered by anyone else who would just simply look into the subject. I have not revealed, as far as I can tell, any divine knowledge, any unique divine revelation that he has only given to me exclusively. I don't see that present at all. And so I take a firm position on this, that there are a lot of people who will discuss this subject, who will argue this subject, But the fact is, in my opinion, they don't really care about the subject. They don't care enough to examine the true issues that need to be resolved for a person to see the reality and value of baptism, water baptism, spiritual baptism, to understand it in its historical context and to see the true issues through the eyes of our God as he reveals the truth to us through the indwelling presence of his spirit, guiding us and leading us into all truth. Depend and trust in him, and he will not fail you. He is not a God who has given you a set of procedures to live by. He is a God who has given you himself so that you may know who he is, all that he has given to you so that you can live and participate in what he is doing. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net